0: to have you back today we have the privilege of speaking with julie peterson she's a dear dear sister and friend um she's based here in uray colorado and it's a true blessing to have her here among us she is an amazing herbalist and ayurvedic practitioner among many other things she is the founder of the brand singing springs botanicals and she makes some amazing potions for body mind and spirit Um, for physical health and well-being as well as as emotional health. Um, She uses wildcrafted and organic ingredients in all of her products and pouring love and intention and so much wisdom and knowledge into her product. She has an amazing background and she's just a fabulous human being. Um, We're gonna dive straight into the conversation with her, Um, but I also want to say that if the topic of Dinachara that we're gonna talk about today, if it's something that tickles you, she actually has an offering um, to people that want to do consultations with her. So if you listen all the way through, you'll get that um, really awesome offer. And yeah, I just hope that you really enjoy this episode as much as I did. I know this is... Hopefully just one out of many conversations with Julie because every time we get together, it's just opening up worlds of of new information and Curiosity within me. So I hope it does the same for you. So yeah, here we go Hi, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good? Good. I uh i must say i'm just psyched to have you with me for a moment and spend a, a moment in time this is a long time coming <laughs>
1: yeah this will be awesome
0: it's great cool. to be here with you for those who don't know Julie, maybe I should start by saying that uh, she has been studying at the Rocky Mountain Center for Botanical Studies and also have studied Ayurveda in depth at the Ayurvedic Institute in New Mexico with the legend Basant Lad, um, totally hero of ours. And also she went on to complete a pharmacy program down in Kerala in India at the Green's Ayurveda Institute. Um, And Yeah, that is a little bit of a background to the depth of knowledge, and I shouldn't just say knowledge, wisdom that Julie here holds. And um, one thing that I love about you, Julie, (laughs) is that you're so generous with your knowledge. Sometimes we have to kind of pry it out of you, um, but you hold so much wisdom. So thank you for coming on the show and wanting to talk to us today. Thanks for having me, Hansa. One of the things that we wanted to dive into as one of these sessions on the podcast is um, the topic of dinacharya. And that mirrors back to the fact that so many people today find themselves imbalanced and um, there is a rise in a lot of different diseases. uh, I should say dis-eases, physical, mental, emotional, um, that the Ayurvedic science um, and philosophy states can be prevented. And the methods of this Dinacharya theory, I don't even know if I am framing it right in the way it's framed in Ayurveda, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but that is a mode that we can, or a method that we can apply to bring our organism into balance and into a, a balanced relationship with nature and its rhythms. And yeah, this is what I want to dive in to with you Julie so um, okay in, in your own words what is Dina
1: Well in my words these would be the words of my teachers and who I've learned from but Dina is day and Charya is routine that's the real basic um, definition would be it's the daily routine but looking into it a little bit more um, Dina also mean can translate as the sun. And charia, um, most of your listeners who are in, on the yoga path know that word also as being like the path, like it, as in Brahmacharya, like the path of Brahma. Um, so it can be the path one that follow, well, the path one follows. Um, so that I like that translation because it really just in that translation, it connects you to nature, that it's following the path of the sun. So we're such, uh, you know, we evolved with the sun, we evolved outside. And um, now with the new discoveries in circadian medicine, they find that we have little circadian clocks in almost every one of our cells. And that, um, you know, light, sunlight comes into our retina and goes into a specific area of our brain um and triggers the the center like the, the the grand or master circadian clock and that that gives our body information of exactly what to do like on a really primitive level like when to eat when to sleep and so really the Dinacharya is, is an ancient Vedic art of living in harmony with nature. And um, it, it observes how the tree dosha, vata, pitta and kapha, they naturally rise and fall throughout the day. And those energies make certain activities more or less suitable. And, <clears throat> you know, for instance, dawn and dusk are vata times. I remember that because Vata is variable and changing, and those are kind of the biggest changes during the day, Um, so like 2 to 6, and then early morning and early evening are Kapha times from 6 to 10, and midday and midnight are the Pitta times from 10 to 2, and that's also easy to remember if you just remember the whole, um, you know, before- the hottest part of the day and right after. So from 10 to two, like surrounding 12. Um, Yeah, so really it's syncing up chronological time with biological time and uh, we should be in harmony with the different energies of the solar cycle. It kind of is a view that each day is new and it'll never come again, so how will we live that gift, how will we live in harmony?
0: Beautiful, it resonates so incredibly deeply. So the question why is, what's the relevance or importance of this? It's obviously multidimensional and on so many levels. If we would dive into, say, um, what you're talking about, these different times of day suitable for different activities, what if we go into that from the perspective of, say, food, sleep, activity, self-care, or routine, um, wherever you want to start there, if we can start to kind of paint this palette of, of suitable activity at certain times, and just related to that, either topic, do you feel okay. like that's a good approach?
1: Sure, yeah, I do like to think about why it's so important. And there's one quote from the Upanishads that I think really connects into the Dinacharya, and it's um so an action, I'll just say it in English, but so an action reap a habit, so a habit, reap a character, so a character, reap a destiny. So You know, really in each moment, your actions and habits are sowing the seeds of your future and they're either generating future ease or future stress or dis-ease, as you said. And, you know, what you think, what you do every day, that's, it's so mundane, right? But on another level, what's more important? You know, what you do every day creates your life, your success or... Your fulfillment or your lack of, and so a well-curated dinacharya will di- direct your life, and with a life with more intention, will really shape who you want to be five years out, mm-hmm. and and also like you mentioned, you know, seventy to eighty percent of chronic diseases today are largely due to inappropriate lifestyle you know including an appropriate diet um things that damage our microbiome or um you know a lot of people make huge sacrifices of health for for wealth or you know mm-hmm. other activities that sometimes they they don't take into consideration our well-being
0: totally and I also feel like once you find yourself in that place of imbalance, it feels so daunting, or it can feel so daunting. And but what Dinachar is pointing at is that it's it's almost a it's a resting of effort to come back into this natural rhythm, which once you are in sync, it makes everything flow easier. Yeah. And it's not these you know rocket science type of methods or modalities that you have to apply. Um, Mm -hmm. it's not far-fetched but you have to be open to it I guess and in the beginning there might be some effort but it's not anything complicated it doesn't have to be right
1: no and it's actually best if it's if you start small because we know that overwhelm we already have enough overwhelm and (laughs) we don't want to add more of that so just taking on and adding a habit a month or just well, really, let's not even call it a habit because a habit isn't a habit until it's almost on autopilot. So Mm -hmm. practice, add a practice that you want to start incorporating and add it. And when it becomes a habit or it becomes just second nature, then add another one. And that way you'll never stress yourself out with this. You know, some people will want to just take on, you know, tons of new things, right? after they hear about new, um, all these practices. And, uh, when I was at the Ayurvedic Institute, people were actually getting low on sleep because they were getting up so early to do every single step that was ever just that we learned. And that was just (laughs) as the Dean Chary. And it would take, you know, a couple hours uh, before, and then you'd have to eat and still get ready and go to school and stuff. So um, that's not the point is to make, you know, give yourself too much to do, but that's kind of a good, uh, way to talk about, um, the specifics of Adityan Charya. Like there's a really general one that, you know, involves like waking up early, drinking warm water, scraping your tongue. Like there's a really... Um, general one that's just great for anyone to follow but uh, then each person really because that's always the case in Ayurveda's it depends like what's the best Dina Charya for someone it depends it depends on their dosha it depends on their um prakriti vikruti balance it depends on the season it depends on you know if they have a health challenge that they're working with so like for example if you know you want to focus on increased immunity your dhinacharya can really be your ppe you know your personal protective equipment is the practices that you do and that's like getting to bed early and um, showering for good hygiene and doing nausea to protect your nose and an irritated dry nose is more susceptible to sinus infections and that's where a lot of uh, microbes make their entry is into our respiratory system um, you know doing something like abhyanga to lower your stress because we know what a um, important thing stress management is and um, high stress low immunity low stress yeah. I mean,
0: So, for people that don't know the word abhyanga, uh, can you say what that is in English?
1: Yeah, that's uh, self oil massage. So that's a really fundamental Ayurvedic practice for pacifying vata and for um, you know just soothing the self and uh, really give signals to the nervous system that you're calm and relaxed and uh, it's very nourishing to the nervous system. And yeah, you use like a warm sesame oil and you would massage your entire body, feet, hands, armpits, you know, face, everything with oil. And then uh, traditionally, then you'd rinse off in a shower, but not soap off the oil and rinse it and then just pat dry afterwards.
0: Thank you. That's Mm -hmm. a good, good little nugget. (laughs)
1: yeah so if you know some people might want to practice their they might focus their dhinacharya more around like honoring the five senses and do something nice for their nose like every day some aromatherapy or do the nastia the um oil oiling your nose and for the eyes you could use different color therapy or just wear a different color for each day of the week that connects to the planets or do you know cup cool water and splash your eyes every morning or you know mist them with rose mist for your ears it could be listening to mantras or kirtan or bhajans or native american flute music um or doing you know so it can be subtle types of therapies or physical ones like if you've always been prone to ear infections or you have tinnitus or something you might want to put oil in your ears Um, like this for the skin for the touch sense habayanga or skin brushing for the tongue scraping the tongue every morning or could be including all five tastes in your diet so You know, the Diyanacharyas could look different ways, you know, they could for boosting immunity, for pacifying a dosha, for honoring the five senses. Um,
0: So if we wanted to um, talk about food in that regard, you're talking about having all of the different uh, flavors on your plate um, represented and uh, maybe not flavors, whatever the word was that you use. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, taste yeah um for those that are not too into this already tell tell us what those are so people can just start researching that for themselves and also in terms of amounts of food we live in a culture where at least here in the west there's big portions and also what when to eat what
1: yeah so say you you know say someone has digestive issues it'd be great to just run a fine-toothed Ayurvedic comb over all the eating habits and just, you know, Ayurveda focuses not just on what, but when and how and where. So, you know, what would be like probably a 90% plant-based, 10% animal. It would be organic. It would be fresh. It would be sopic, It would be seasonal. Um, you know, a big focus on when, like... Um, less often. Uh, that's one thing a lot of Americans are in a habit of. If they're awake, they might be grazing or eating or snacking. But Ayurveda really recommends um, three specific meal times and that they should be ideally at set times in the day. So that is a specific Dinacharya practice is say you want to eat your breakfast at eight every day and your lunch at noon or one, and your dinner be done eating by seven. So like an earlier, lighter dinner is, is a great um, you know, addition to it's not just what you eat, but when that's so important, and that timing connects into the Dhinacharya. Um, and there's been a lot of new science on um, intermittent fasting and the benefits of going for a longer period without eating. And really, the way Ayurveda looks at it is that your Agni sets with the sun. So we don't want to be really eating after sunset um, because the Agni is really low. And, you know, we know that most of the day your body will prioritize carbs and, and burn carbs and not fat you know, and that will do that after breakfast and after lunch and after dinner. And then it's only at night that it'll switch over and really be efficient at fat burning. But if you have, you know, um, some drinks and then some midnight snacks, and then you get up and first thing you have some, you know, coffee with cream and sugar, there's a much, you know, maybe if you had a midnight snack and then you get up at six and the first thing is coffee That's not, you know, as long of amount of time of fasting. So trying to go all the way from, you know, not really having anything after seven all the way till eight the next morning or something, say that's like a 13 hour fast, then um, that's something you can, you know, research on the internet that that's just showing such huge benefits. So um, having a
0: gap. Totally. And Agni, for those who don't know, is the digestive fire. And um, tell me why the warm water is important in the morning.
1: Uh, well, warm water does like a good flush of your system and gets you rehydrated. And um, it'll flush your kidneys and uh, get your digestive fire going. And um, yeah cool. I'm eating mostly, but <laughs>
0: yeah and so we're t- also talking eating the biggest meal of the day in in that pitta time frame where uh can you talk to that a little bit
1: sure yeah just uh like i mentioned that agni kind of rises and sets with the sun so your agni is the strongest midday and So a lot of cultures eat their largest meal in the day and then have a siesta or a little break after that. But our really uh, highly functional, money-oriented culture doesn't really appreciate taking time that time out. And so we've kind of lost the large lunch thing and it's moved to dinner. But if you can get more of your calories earlier in the day, it's a really great weight loss, um, hack biohack too. There's a little saying one, one Ayurvedic doctor that I really admire, Dr. Suhas Kirshagar. He, uh, he has a saying, eat late, gain some weight, (laughs) (laughs) eat right, eat light at night. So those two things are, um, you know, important things like the Agni is going to set. You don't want to be taking in calories. You won't digest them well. And that means you, you'll you be trying to digest them when your Agni is slow. And that makes it harder for you to get a good night's sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just having, um, like if you're moving everything forward, you're going to get it all in earlier. And that seems to be one of the most important things is just not going to bed with a big, huge, full stomach um, by eating a late dinner, which is just, that's culturally the biggest shift most Americans need to do is start getting their calories earlier in the day. So they're not eating the biggest meal at, at dinner.
0: Yeah and so for the people that are listening there are on a personal routine of eating two meals a day or even just one meal a day eating three meals a day could be daunting is there a do you have any suggestions on how they can start bringing in more of this philosophy of three meals a day and how to kind of ignite that digestive fire if they just feel sluggish and don't actually want to eat they don't have the appetite yeah so
1: if uh if you don't have an appetite, you know, for food at a certain time, it could be like a a lot of times Vata, uh, people who are predominant in Vata dosha will have an irregular appetite, and will be starving for meals sometimes just voracious appetite and then at other times just not have much of an appetite at all. And what can be helpful if you want to start eating at regular mealtimes is to stimulate your diet or your appetite by doing something like um, lemon ginger pickle is one uh, way you can um, drink some ginger tea. Well, so the lemon ginger pickle is you can just slice little pieces of ginger and make them about as thick as a dime, put a little bit of honey a little bit of lime juice a little bit of salt so you're getting the pungent taste from the ginger the sweet taste from the honey the salty taste from the salt and the sour taste from the lime and all those tastes and you eat that about 20 minutes before your meal like say you want to start you've always been skipping lunch and or maybe finally by three you get so hungry you finally eat but you want to move that forward so you want to stimulate your appetite with that 20 minutes before when you your ideal time that you want to eat your meal is and and that works great um uh, let's see when you were asking that i had a couple
0: other thoughts but
1: now i'm not remembering them uh, that's
0: okay that is a good one i I've, i know it works <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. oh and you could you could always eat uh smaller portions like say You have always just eaten two meals. Your third could almost be more of a snack type thing. And then also, uh, it's not a hard and fast rule that, you know, to be eating Ayurvedically, you have to eat three meals a day. And, you know, more kapha types that tend to just hold on to food and have a slower digestion and can tend to gain weight more easily they could easily get away with two meals a day and that wouldn't be um inappropriate
0: cool and so if we're um switching our minds to activity and levels of activity and and, uh, is there anything to say in terms of this uh, rhythm of the sun and then also um, what we should be doing and when is there anything that we should comment on that
1: uh, yeah, you know, getting things accomplished uh, in between, you know, in the to time when your energy is really focused in the morning, uh, like, you know, from 10 to 2, people can tend to do more mental activities where you need a lot of focus or really, uh, um, yeah, like, mental things um you know then uh well one sort of thing is when uh, vata is predominant in the early morning and it, it vata governs movement and so it's good to get up before the sunrise and then starting you know around six it starts to become kapha time and that's why often if people sleep in they think they'll feel better because they're catching up on sleep. But actually, if you sleep into the kapha time, you can tend to feel more sleepy and tired. And that's a reason that getting up and then getting moving is a really good way to balance that kapha at the time. And so you don't start your day and feeling kind of sluggish and tired. If you start your day with some movement, um, like some asana or uh, brisk walk outside, something like that. Um, there's a lot of studies that show that exercise in the early morning is even more beneficial than at any other time of the day. That also culturally doesn't work for a lot of us because that's when we have to get up and get to work. Um, uh, late afternoon is also a good time of day for exercise and, uh, you know, especially in the summer midday with the heat would be the least ideal time and especially for pitta types where it would actually be, could be really imbalancing to their dosha. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Let's see, uh, you know, uh, afternoon, evening time is naturally a really good wind down time uh, to, to get prepared for rest. And often if we're pushing ourselves and going, going, going right up until when we expect to go to sleep, that's one reason a lot of people have such a difficult time with sleep is not having kind of a, a, pre, a preparatory period working up to that, where we might even have uh, some sleep habits or sleep, uh, like a ritual, like people are used to that with infants and really little ones but not so much they think oh when you get older you don't have to do that but that can be really helpful
0: what would that look like if you would if you have a poor sleep pattern or just can't fall asleep or you wake up and you just can't fall back asleep or it's just irregular what would you recommend for for that preparatory phase and how long would that be and can you generalize even
1: yeah, some one thing you can definitely genera- generalize is uh, screen time, because um, uh, our computer screens and phones and electronic devices all emit blue light, and the quality of blue light is that it turns off melatonin production. So we're uh, one, you know, habit to get into would be actually starting in the morning, and when you first wake up. Um, getting outside, or if you can just sit and at least uh, have your tea or your coffee while you're sitting outside in the bright light, the early morning light has the most blue light in its spectrum. And that really shuts off our melatonin production. And that's what makes us become awake. Mm -hmm. And then if we're exposing ourselves to blue light late in the day, that will be doing the same thing. And when we're supposed to be going into more and more darkness or dim lighting um, naturally, that would start to trigger melatonin getting produced. And everyone's noticed this when you go even camping for one weekend, and you know, you you just start to notice how much more earlier you get tired. And that's because of, you know, just being away from the artificial light and the excess stimulation. So starting with some early, some outside light, bright light first thing. And then if you have to go to this point, you can even connect your internet modem to have it on a timer so that it goes off every single night at nine and you just have a pact that you don't mess with that. And then you're like, Oh, darn, well, I can't, you know, scroll and check on this. So I guess I'll start, I'll just have to read or I'll, you know, give myself a little foot massage, like soaking your feet in warm water or washing them and rubbing them with oil. And maybe you could even add a little, uh, lavender essential oil or some, see or some relaxing essential oil to your oil and rub your feet. Also brahmi infused oil is another trick, Ayurvedic trick for helping relax your nervous system and get you to sleep earlier. You could also make your, you know, one of your last things you drink either some, you know, like a nighty night tea or uh, golden milk or something with some ashwagandha. That's very relaxing. Um, those would be some ideas.
0: I love it because it's it's easy, right? And it's what What it also does is invite us to some more quiet time. And I think that's one of the biggest components is that we just need to give ourselves that mental break, right? And it even ties back into any type of spiritual practice of just being connected with yourself and your Mm -hmm. organism or your unique situation. And um, I just feel like that's a big piece that a lot of people are missing out on, which is a beautiful one. And also in the morning, like waiting until say eight or nine or whatever time limit you can give yourself until you check the phone. So you do have sacred um, off-screen time early morning as well, um, Mm -hmm. just to kind of create more sacredness around that. Yeah. So in terms of um, a daily routine example or some other self-care practices that you feel like we should cover that... Um, are yummy to apply please share (laughs) okay um
1: well um waking up before the sunrise and drinking some warm or hot water and that could have lemon or not uh scraping your tongue blowing your nose applying nausea um, like you said, just have having your phone still off so this time doesn't get disrupted and, you know, get into your space where you can do some movement, some yoga or going for a walk and then possibly, you know, if you can fit it in a uh, little bit of meditation and then breakfast and then the most productive part of the day with um, if you can schedule your activities um, that need that require the most focus in the earlier part of the day, and then a larger, the largest meal of the day around noon, one o'clock. Uh, you know, getting other things done in the afternoon, work-wise, that maybe aren't quite so mentally focused. But maybe you also part of your thing is you have to keep your office clean, or you can always. Um, you know, do some movement based type things when you're feeling really stagnant or lethargic, just mix it up, get up and, oh, I also have to, you know, keep the bathroom clean (laughs) when clients come in, they need, they don't want to see that or, so, um, those type activities and then a bit of a wind down in the evening, smaller, lighter dinner, um, to bed by 10 o'clock. Uh, it's um, definitely better to get more sleep earlier than later. That sleep is more valuable. Any hours before midnight are worth twice the amount of hours after 6am. Wow, In that could be how a big well shift. Rested, we feel so yeah, if you can move Sounds. your bedtime to 10 and, and then get up a little earlier or, you know, and you can experiment with that too. If you have the luxury to wake up naturally, uh, you can keep moving your bedtime forward until you naturally wake up at the time that you want to be waking up. I like that. That's cool. Dr. Kirshigar. He's, he's written a really amazing book. If this is a interest a topic of interest for you. That's, uh, called change your schedule, change your life. And he really gets into a lot of the science, um, behind some of the new circadian medicine and how Ayurveda has been saying these things all along, but now there's this really specific science that backs things up. And, uh, Oh, what was I going to say about that? Forget
0: what. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I just feel like this in itself could be a big shift for so many people and such an important shift. Just the fact of going to bed before midnight or even closer to 10. And I mean, I know my whole system shuts down at 10. I got to be in bed. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. It's it's natural. And to
1: me. Remember also another thing that uh, really throws people off is, uh, they call it social jet lag. And it's basically like the jet lag we give ourselves by having our weekend schedule be drastically different than our weekly schedule. So if you have to get up at six, five days a week, and then on the weekend, you sleep until 10 and go to bed really late. And then on Monday, you have to get up at six again. It's essentially the same as if you flew to you know, the East coast or something three hours away. And then you come back, you have jet lag and that's because it's really thrown your circadian rhythms off by going to such a different schedule on the weekends. And, you know, people really think of that as like, Oh, but it's such a pleasure to stay up late and party with friends or to watch movies later, whatever, and then sleep in. But, uh, You know, if you're working specifically with certain health challenges like sleep um, disturbance, sleep issues, insomnia, you might that might be an aspect that's that becomes important to in your healing. That is not having a really um, disparate weekend weekend schedule from the rest of your week.
0: Makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Mm -hmm. if um you wouldn't mind will you share a little bit how some dinacharya practices have contributed to your own life has there been something that's you've been applying um, that have created a major shift or anything that you know you still do um because it's just a foundational piece of your day-to-day or anything that's been revolutionary um
1: Yeah, that sometimes I could almost say the most superficial thing, but maybe the most critical, um, is that I've really seen a lot of, um, great health improvements. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was really incorporating bot to balancing measures and habits. And that was really what fixed me up with some little health things that were off, um, But then another thing that's been great is scheduling time for the things that fulfill me and the activities that lead specifically to the achievement of um, really specific goals. So say, you know, it's just, that part is about having a more intentional life. Like uh, you can't just keep saying, oh, I really want to be fluent in Spanish. I wish I was fluent in Spanish. Or, and you think about it but what you need to do is schedule you know every Wednesday night I'm going to meet with so-and-so who's fluent and we're going to talk or I'm going to enroll now that there's you can even go to college online right now you could just enroll in a class and start taking a class you could get certain apps that um, you're like I'm every you know day at right after lunch for 30 minutes I'm going to work on this app. And so you specifically schedule in the things that will lead to the achievement of life goals. So that's been really helpful. Just being a Vata nature, like Vata predominant, I could tend to be more scattered and just learning that the tendencies of a Vata through Ayurveda, one of the most important things for Ayurveda or for Vatas is the Dinacharya and having a schedule and having uh, some regularity and balance and not being so scattered. It's very grounding and mm-hmm. specifically helpful to the Vata type. And I'd say you know, in a bigger, bigger way that it's really, the whole thing is just a total way of life for me and just digging into and remembering old unwritten and written ways of healing and living that attend to the needs of the soul. And it's just always been a driving curiosity underlying underlying my life. And so all of it, the Dinacharyas as mundane as it can be to me it's um it's super interesting and working with people on how to dial that in is is one of my favorite parts of ayurveda awesome
0: well being your friend and seeing your self-discipline for i guess i should take a step back for a lot of people sound or the sound of scheduling your life or having these routines can feel very limiting but i feel like having this basic structure can also give you more room to breathe in a sense. The the, the whole organism knows what to expect on a very um, basic level, primitive level. And from that, there is a lot of creativity that can come to bloom. And I feel like I watched that in you with your... know self-discipline in terms of you're talking about courses or whatnot and your self-study and all of these things and also with your business which is a very creative pursuit um you it just you're a living example of these practices bringing you to blossom in a sense because you have that foundation and so it's cool to hear your own experience and um I wish people could get a glimpse of your life more than this um, because you really are a living example of it and so thank you mm-hmm. for sharing yes. those personal references it's a life's
1: work you know it's totally always cool how we can refine it and refine it and audit it and edit it and, edit it and make it what we want mm-hmm. and then also you know giving yourself leeway to be spontaneous and yep. um and not you know, it it can tend to be uh, a more pitta thing to really get into a specific schedule and thrive, you know, with set goals and um, being really um, focused and driven like that. But that kind of leads me to, and, you know, maybe less of of avata's nature to do that, but it's more, almost more important for about to type to have that kind of structure, mm-hmm. um, more natural for a pitta to have it. And, uh, but
0: what was I gonna say about that? Um, I like what you said though, that you're, you're actually, to, you, to bring in the spontaneity, and I guess that was what I was hinting at too, that when you have this type of routine, to take a step out of it every now and again, it's not gonna be detrimental. But if you don't have that structure and you don't, you haven't filled up on all levels, physically, mentally, emotionally, and have that groundedness, it's, um, it can really throw you off. Um, yeah. By just living on the whim type of thing with your routines.
1: Yeah, and when the routines become habits, it actually does give you a little more bandwidth because when all these uh, health promoting things are just on autopilot and you're not having to think about them anymore. You're just doing the things that help promote your health and well being. You're going to have more energy. You're going to have more focus and more clarity. Um, so, it kind of put by putting the right health promoting things into your schedule and making them second nature. You, you end up not having to think about them after, you know, after a certain amount of time.
0: Totally. And isn't that what we wish for everyone, that those healthy habits are just the foundation, really? Mm-hmm. Hence this conversation. <laughs> um, do you feel like we've touched on major points? Is there anything else you feel like we ought to bring up?
1: Um, just the element of doing the, all our actions with as much awareness and intention as possible. Um, you know, Ayurveda is really a consciousness medicine and it's greatly about increased awareness and just knowing, you know, what we're doing, what we eat, is it imbalancing our dosha or is it balancing to our dosha is, you know, our different habits medicine or poison in the Mm -hmm. sense that they're creating imbalance. Um, And, you know, is like, awareness of the season, every season, uh, every fall, I am more out of balance, you know, just bringing awareness to that. And not only awareness to how every single thing is literally medicine or poison in the way of it's going to bring us more into balance or out of balance and very few things are neutral or they're neutral in the short term but if persisted in, usually will have one or the other effect so just looking at all of our relations our relations with food our relations with individuals with the seasons with the time of day as um, as how we're one with them they're affecting us they're we're relating to them and they're having an effect and bringing awareness to that. And then also, you know, there's like the busyness aspect where being too busy really disconnects us from paying attention to that or from who we should be and how awareness is so essential for transformation and is really the key to reinventing your body and You know, sometimes you could hear these practices and, oh, it's good to drink water in the morning or it's good to do this or that. But if you, along with the practice, have the awareness or the intent, the intention while you're doing it, like maybe, you know, an example, you could probably give a good example about when you're doing yoga, you're not just doing the asanas, you're having an intention Um, with that 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 just that holding that in your awareness gives extra benefit so you know if we really think about like I'm doing these habits and you know these you know maybe it's even just a little bit of cleanup every day and you realize that like once you get into the habit of making your bed every morning and say your goal is to practice shaocham or cleanliness and you know you you can't have that goal in life and then not do the actions that lead to the embodiment of that belief so you want to practice shaocham you have to you know start you just live the, the way that embodying that is like you get up and you make your bed and you put on clean, fresh clothes after showering and you, you know, do do certain things to embody Shao And then, so there's the awareness that what you're doing is leading to your, you know, goal, but there's also the awareness of the good that comes from that. Like, oh, well, when I practice Shao I'm practicing I'm having a more sattvic life and that benefits my spiritual path or, you know, it, the more intent there is the more purpose and we have a more, you know, purpose driven life, Mm -hmm. but there's also a nuance of uh, the importance of, of karmic karma yoga, like setting the goal but then not fixating on the goal, setting the goal, and then coming up with the action steps that will help us to achieve the goal. And then actually forgetting about the goal and just being totally present in the actions Mm -hmm. um, and doing them to the best of our ability and with presence and awareness. And that's the focus, not on the goal itself. So there's a little nuance, because I think I've talked a lot about, like, goal, this goal, that achieving the goal, but then there's that certain art to the way we want to do that.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that you brought that up, because it's also, it's, you know, I feel like distraction is one of these um, things in our era that is really part of this imbalance, overall imbalance, and if, if we can bring it back to the awareness piece and everything that we do, then, and and yes, having the goal there, but then as you drop that, the path is, you know, the journey is more mm-hmm. important than the destination, and, and and just giving yourself wholeheartedly to every step of the way, and it's that wholeheartedness, it's that intent that you're talking about, the awareness, and I that is the gift, really. Mm-hmm. If we can cultivate that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that surprise. <laughs> totally. Um, jai, Jai Jai. Um, with that, shall we uh, give any type of calls to action, how people can learn more about this, about you, about any upcoming offerings? Is there anything to to share on that end?
1: Ah, uh, sure. Well, <clears throat> if people wanted to find out more about how, they're, you know, how a, how the Dhinacharya could really get honed in um, specifically to address any health challenges or uh, health goals or whatnot. Um, I do private Dhinacharya sessions and usually those are 108, but I would do um, 30% off for anyone who's listened to this podcast or found me through you. So 75 for those. And, um, I will be at the farmer's market in Telluride this summer, uh, four different ones, not doing it full time. So I'll be there the second Friday of each month, um, this summer. So that'll be like in June, July, August, and September. Um, that's a place to come out. You can always come and just, chat with me, ask me questions, uh, see some of the products that I make. Um, And I'll be doing a a first annual plant swap I want to facilitate um, this summer. So probably early summer. I'm thinking that'll be June 5th and it'll just be simple, really not formal gathering probably at Hartwell Park there in Ridgeway is kind of central for you know if people from Telluride or Norwood or Uray want to come and probably just from 10 to 11 a.m and you can just bring whatever plants you have in abundance it could be like cuttings from house plants or if you started a veggie garden and you have starts that you don't have room for or you you know have a whole bunch of comfrey plants dig one of those up and bring it and then everyone can just swap one plant for one plant. And uh, if you don't have any plants, but you want to get started, you could bring packets of seed. Um, You know, we have Laura here in our community with high desert seeds and she has great seeds. So like, you know, just bringing some seeds to trade for live plants.
0: Cool. What an awesome initiative. This is why I love you. I mean, it's all holistic lifestyle, right? And, and get our hands in the dirt. Yeah, we
1: can all diversify our, the plant friends that we have around us and also keep it totally affordable. Like no money. It's, this is just a trade. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also going to have a water kefir soda class on Wednesday, June 9th in the evening, like after work time, 5.30ish or something. And we'll just talk about how to make them, how to wear and how to get the kefir grains and how to add botanical remedies to make them medicinal. And they're also a great probiotic drink and they, unlike yogurt or, um, you know, milk kefir if you're lactose intolerant there you can still get all the great probiotics so that's going to be a fun class and then uh, a little bit of a bigger thing is I'll be doing another wild medicine retreat in July up at uh, the Mount Hayden backcountry lodge and it's a great alpine location and There's tons of herbs, osha, arnica, pink elephants, yarrow, and we'll be meeting the plants and taking a deep dive into sustainable wildcrafting techniques and actually we'll make medicines with several different plants and kind of cover uh, the whole scope of different ways to prepare herbal medicine with some of the locals. Sweet. And there will be info on my website soon about (laughs) all those things I just mentioned. I have to put it on there. But uh, my website is a good source of info. That's um, singingspringsbotanicals.com. And my email, you can find it through there. But it's julie at singingspringsbotanicals.com.
0: Sign up for the newsletter so you'll get all the info about all of the upcoming events. And follow yeah. Julie on Instagram, Sing Springs Botanicals.
1: And don't be really confused that when I, I don't post very often. <laughs> like, what is she doing? I won't overwhelm you with newsletters.
0: <laughs> <It might be laughs> Only annoying. when Hansa tells you to send one, then you will. <laughs>
1: yeah. You're a really great motivator in that department.
0: Well, thank you again for spending this moment, and I really do hope this is one out of many interesting conversations with you because you are a well of knowledge, and I really do appreciate your time. I know you're busy, and it's a great thing you're busy because your your brand is doing great. And for anyone that haven't tried any products from Singing Springs Botanicals, you better get on it because. It's it's life saving, <laughs> truly. Julie really have so many amazing remedies and formulas. You do want to give yourself the gift of checking out her website. So, and I will share all of all of this info in the show notes as well. So,
1: oh, thank you, Hansa. Thanks for uh, initiating this great talk. I love sharing about Ayurveda.
0: Absolutely,
1: on the behavioral.
0: So, until next time. Um. Touch <laughs> Um. Tat <not>. Thank you. <laughs>